0: hi everybody this is mike oppenheim and you are listening to coffin talk interviews with the living a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life this week coming to me from the local area here in phoenix arizona is a very good friend vin jensen uh he and i are in a writing group together and the first year i knew him i thought his name was ian neven spelled i-e-n because uh he has a split personality who publishes under that name um He's an incredible, incredible writer. Um, I am jealous and admiring of his skills at the same time. Um, And he has available works out there. Uh, You can find The American Book of Changes, a reimagining of the ancient divination system known as the I Ching, and a novel called uh, Tangible Angels. Um, He's currently working on a trilogy of Mesopotamian stories called The Books of Shinar, dealing with the destruction of the Tower of Babel and the legendary confusion of human language, and a series of fantasy novels about a a portraitist and his subjects, beginning with the man who raised him in Letters to Gira. Uh, That's the work I'm the most familiar with. but Vin is an incredible person with like a really sensitive mind that sees the world and understands the world and knows how to translate it back to us. And uh, I'm always impressed by what he notices. And that includes just conversation, not just his fiction. So I cannot wait to pick his brain about the metaphysical world. Vin, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great after that introduction. <laughs> uh, never better.
0: Awesome. I try to pump guests up, but I also know you and I'm delighted to have you on the show. Um so let's start with the basic three, which is uh, how old are you, where did you grow up, and what generation, if any, do you consider yourself a member of?
1: Uh, I grew up in a little, um, well, a medium-sized town called Enid in Oklahoma. Um, some people might be familiar with it from Crossword Puzzles because it's a great four-letter word. I was about to say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I grew up there until I was about Nineteen, and then I spent some time uh, in college and moving around, and uh, ended up in Massachusetts for most of my adult life. I'm now, uh, oh God, I'm going to turn sixty-seven in a in a few weeks. So uh, that's that's where I am, and um, I forget the third question, but
0: uh, do you do you think you're a part of a generation?
1: Oh. Uh, I've always sort of been told that I came in at the tail end of the baby boom.
0: Yeah, that's uh, according to, like, data and all that. Um, I asked the question more just to see if people are into that, not into it, and just kind of suss that out. And also, it's just kind of like a running theme on the show so people can just, like, keep track of various answers. So the longer the show goes, the more likely I am to keep it in, not take it out, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, sure. So I grew up uh, with three older brothers two of whom were uh practically adults by the time I came along so wow. uh, it was kind of a dual generational uh sibling situation that's
0: interesting um,
1: and i've always felt like i was kind of uh the tail end of a lot of things you know um born in the 60s but didn't really start growing up till the uh, you know, around the seventies, so
0: that makes sense and what uh what was Oklahoma like back then uh do you ever go back or was that really just until you' were about eighteen?
1: uh no, I still have family there, and uh i i I love Oklahoma in its its gentle kind of uh um, the, the people are very very, very conservative. Um, and I don't fit into that mix anymore as I did when I was young. Um, so uh, it's always a little bit of a challenge for me going home. But, you know, my family, I love and, and you know, we're just family. We're not political entities. So, um, you know, I, I, I think of um, people generally in Oklahoma as um, – having very big hearts sometimes with dark corners in them wow but but we all have those you know
0: yeah for sure that's well well put uh when when did you get interested in writing how old were you
1: oh i i think i wrote my first western comic book when i was about seven cool (laughs) (laughs) i've been trying to write ever since uh sometimes successfully most of the time not so much but Yeah, it's just one of the things that I've done all my life, you know?
0: Yeah, no, totally. I mean, you're just, you're excellent at it. So I figured I would start to unthread that uh, while I unravel, rather, other threads, uh, such as um, when you left Oklahoma or wherever you went for college, I don't know if you stayed in state, uh, what was like your stated goal to yourself at that point? Like, I'm going to go to school and learn this, or I'm going to do this.
1: Well, my first goal was... uh, probably just sort of to get out of town and, you know, see some other parts of the country. But I was very self-conscious because growing up, growing up in Oklahoma, I sounded like an Okie. I was on the debate team and we'd record ourselves doing speeches and I'd hear myself. And I, like the rest of the country, thought that my accent sounded dumb. Oh, wow. So I really worked on that. You know, I worked to not sound like an Oki. Uh, I'll probably break into Oki at some point, but uh, and so I went away to Southern Illinois University where the locals bile water if they want to heat it up, you know. And then there were other kids coming down from Chicago to go to college. So I I discovered that i needn't have bothered and the an important lesson for me to know that we all sound some kind of way to each other and none of it is real it's all just you know the old saying i think is um, a language is a dialect with an army and a navy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know so that's
0: cool um and what was it like growing up, like coming of age in the sixties and seventies? Because that's like a very volatile uh, era. I, you know, know from like history, like uh, assassinations of leaders, race riots, um, you know, legislation, civil rights movement. I know you were young, but I'm just curious. Like, did that affect you?
1: Well, sure. Here's so here's the dark corners of those big-hearted big people that I was talking about. Uh, memories that I have of the Kennedy assassination uh, came from people telling me that God never wanted a Catholic to be president anyway. Wow. Uh, so there was that. And I was so sheltered from the world at large. I grew up in uh, a Pentecostal household and the church was kind of everything to my growing up. And so I got this very sheltered view of the world as a vast evil place. And that I was better off kind of staying confined to the nest, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, so a lot of those, those, uh, issues, the social issues of the times, you know, I was just sort of encouraged not to look like hippies, not to dress like hippies, not to do this or do that, you know, but I, I, I maintained a kind of ignorance of the world that in some ways allowed me, it served me as a cushion against some of the more harmful influences. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, I was raised teetotaler, and the the year I went off to college in southern Illinois, you know, all I did was drink because (laughs) I didn't have any regulation or any control or any instruction. Yeah, totally. So it's it's a dangerous way to grow up in a lot of ways um but I will never disparage or regret um the 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 love that was experienced within that community.
0: Yeah, that's so fascinating. I mean like we're talking this is going to come out much later but like Israel and Hamas just went to war and you know I'm not going to talk to you about the particulars of that but you know just more of the sad repetition of like nations going to war and and what you're talking about, the dark parts of um, like of religion. But like, you know, every time I want to slam religion, because in my mind, Palestine versus or Hamas rather in Israel is a religious issue as well as other issues. Um, you know, I still, I, I think of what you just said and like you can't deprive that from people that like genuine love and all that. Oh yeah. Do you practice any form of religion now? Do you have any, like do you align with any group?
1: Um, I don't think I align with any group. If I had to give myself a a sort of religious designation, it would be something like Taoism. Mm -hmm. And I say that so hesitantly because, you know, one of the great tenets of Taoism is that the Tao can that can be called the Tao is not the Tao or the way (laughs) that can be called the way is not the way. Right. So, uh I, I love the ambiguities in that particular philosophy and it doesn't require me to believe in uh, a particular kind of made-up deity you know that mm-hmm. with all the trappings that come with that kind of religious power
0: and so I guess this is the perfect time to ask you the you know main question of the podcast which is um, what is your philosophy? What do you think happens to you, like specifically you, when you die? Your consciousness, you. Hey everyone! If you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks.
1: Okay, so um, I actually wrote a poem recently and awesome. titled awesome. it "Coffin Talk." <laughs> awesome. Uh, And and I think I wrote it for this occasion, so I'm going to just read it to you, if I may.
0: Absolutely. I love it.
1: I'm haunted by the ways we've died before, clawing for breath down a crumbled gorge, the slow concretion of his tender organs, an acid bath, a stumble down a stair, choking on the smoke of her own incineration. Spare me yet another incarnation. May the westward wheel progress across my bones and grind them indistinguishable from those of previous tenants here. Let me disintegrate. Tell your own good stories in your own good time. The grinding wheel is just and fair and kind and correct. The wheel does not discriminate. Wow. So that's at least my uh, current thinking. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, uh, I've had experiences in my life. I've had some uh, mystical experiences. And I, I I think it's, I want to talk about it because uh, I tend not to. Cool. And I think most of us tend not to talk about things that we can't wrap our heads around or explain. One of the experiences that I had was... Um, Toward the end of my first marriage, when things were falling apart, and my then wife was in the living room chanting some kind of uh, Native American prayer. And I I don't know what she was chanting exactly. Um, And I was in my room meditating at the time, and I sort of went somewhere and I felt somebody chanting behind me a man's voice chanting and laying his hands on my shoulders on the on the back of my shoulders with some where I'd been having you know holding a lot of tension and I was always in pain and he held his hands there and that whole area just heated up very intensely and the next thing I knew I was transported to a place where I was in bed with uh, my then husband, his name was Keegan. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I don't actually remember whether I was um, a gay male at the time or a female. Okay. But what was significant about the experience was that I had this view of a ridge, a hillside outside, and the woman who was my now ex-wife, my then-wife in real life, was walking along, and I I understood, I realized through the conversation that we were uh, sisters-in-law. I think is the way I want to put it. But we were in-laws, uh, and that had to do with this uh, hunk of a of a guy called Keegan, uh-huh. and he he looked at me and he said. Don't ever put a watch on me, because if you do, I will. And he snapped his fingers, and I was wide awake. I was completely removed from this wow. vision or call it um, past life regression, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have names for it. I have theories, but I don't, you know, and. And I'm resistant to say, oh, I believe in reincarnation because I had this experience. Yeah, interesting. Because the experience doesn't prove anything about the nature of the world. It just tells me, it just informs me about my own mind, right? Yeah. So one theory is obviously, yeah, this is a past life. I I was that person then, and I'm this person now. Another theory is that we all have access to this global human consciousness Ah. and that we can experience each other's lives in, in limited ways and in extreme moments of extremists. Right. Uh, And I, I think that theory ties into what some people call the Akashic record or whatever, you know, I don't buy into all of that stuff because at the end of the day, it's all imagined. It's all made up, you know, whether it's true or not, it's still imagined. Yeah. Uh, so I try not to put too much emphasis on that. Um, but that happened and I had a a, a subsequent uh, that that one was spontaneous. I had a subsequent sort of induced, you know, and I'll use the label past life regression where I was. uh uh, when I was young, I, I played around with hang gliders. My friends and I bought one, mm-hmm. and we uh, we used to go out in this place called the Glass Mountains in Oklahoma, and we would jump jump off cliffs and stuff. And um, in this second experience, I was um, my name was Jumper, and I died uh, trying to um, cash. In. It was like sometime in the 1920s, and definitely in the United States. Because I was competing with the Wright brothers to try to, or with whoever else was out there trying to come up with the first flying machine, right? And uh-huh. I died in that, um, you know, that's, that's the memory, was okay. that I died and that I was this, as a dead person, I was an enormous burden on the woman that I was dating at that time, who was... Um, just said she was always sad when she was around me. You know, not not great relationship material. But it helped me to explain current situations. You know, it's sort of a lens. So I don't know if it's if it's just a, a sort of self therapy mm-hmm. that I got to engage in, or if it's uh, something deeper than that. And at the end of the day, it's all very very mysterious to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, So, what do I think happens when I die?
0: I love this, but I'm just in trance.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it takes you everywhere, doesn't it? I know that my body is going to disintegrate, and I'm already witnessing my mental acuity starting to get fuzzy around the edges. And you know, you see people with various kinds of dementia, and they do seem to be engaging in a process of, of identity disintegration Mm -hmm. of some kind so you know yeah i think probably that this person that i call vin jensen is going to uh, disintegrate evaporate go away whatever you know there's there there are various forms of immortality that we can sort of comfort ourselves with and one is is being carried on our identity being carried on in the form of other people. Cause we all, you know, I believe that we all create, create each other. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: And yeah. I, I am both, both a product of my own creation, but with such heavy influences and hands, you know, lots of shifts in the kitchen in making a personality. And that's what I love about fiction too, is that I, I think what we do all day long as people and fiction writers just kind of get another glimpse of it is we're creating souls. We create the souls of the people we know and we store them in our own minds. So we populate our heads with vast numbers of people, some, you know, really in detail and others more vaguely. But we're all the time, we're creating and populating the worlds inside our head. And we call it knowing people, right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So in a sense, when I die, all of those people that are with me die too. Because there's no more, there are no more synapses. There are no, there's no more electrical activity keeping all of that stuff alive fortunately you're younger than me you're probably gonna go on and have your own life but you won't have that life inside my head anymore mm-hmm. uh, no loss to you the loss is all mine right
0: yeah yeah
1: um but yeah i don't i don't see a mechanism and i guess at the end of the day i'm, I'm kind of a uh i i do believe in Physical processes as kind of generating everything, including the abstract. So, do I expect to live on with the same kind of awareness that I have now? No, I don't. If there is a repository for souls that are separate from minds, and I, I don't even know what that means because the only self that I know is that created self that I can think of as my personality, if there are deeper levels to that, then maybe I've accessed them, Accessed them in my, in those weird otherworldly experiences, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I can't know. I can't know. You know, at the end of the day, it's mystery.
0: And so like, what do you, this conversation is, is so awesome to me because I have these thoughts to myself a lot. I don't have your experiences, but I have these thoughts, like, um, not the exact same ones, but the same thing about like, what if other people are watching what I'm watching, but they know they're watching and they know they're not controlling. And I'm just like this idiot who is watching, but thinks he's controlling.
1: Um, (laughs) (laughs) I
0: think that a lot. And then, uh, and then when I do something like, uh, you know, just jump into like, A a cliche of myself, you know, like I'll start arguing with someone when I like, know there's no point in arguing. And then I have to remind myself, like, this is just fake. And you're just doing this like this is an old habit, stop, and then I'll stop. Yeah. But the situation where I can't do that, and this is what I want to ask you about is pain. Like, I've tried when like, I've cut my thumb before, and it's like pulsing with pain, to like repeat my meditation mantra, or just like, pretend it doesn't exist and ignore it, but it doesn't really work. I'm curious, have you ever had any similar thoughts about that do you have any like thing you you could relate with this conversation about how you don't really know what's going on but then there's pain which is like feels so real
1: right yeah i i like to think of myself as a relatively compassionate person Mm -hmm. but i had a kidney stone a few years ago my wife and i were just talking about this (laughs) yesterday and you know, they're excruciating. People make comparisons with childbirth, and I, I don't know. All I know is a kidney stone. You don't have to change its diaper, and you don't have to send it to college. <laughs> but this thing was was excruciating, and I was being held up in the emergency room where I, I was being seen because there was somebody dying in a bed down the hall. Oh, right? and wow. They were COVID. And... I had zero compassion. You know, my pain was so demanding that I didn't care yeah. about your life and your death. I'm in pain now, yeah. right here. You know, so yeah, I, yeah. Pain is is uh, <laughs> it's a useful, useful thing, but boy, it can um, when it when it grabs your attention. You know, there's there's no getting around it.
0: Yeah, that, that reminds me, we had to do this, like, drill in San Francisco with the Red Cross came in. I worked at the 14th story of a 15-story building, and they said, in the event of, like, another big earthquake, here's what's likely to happen. And the scariest part of the whole thing was they said, by the way, if the water supply is messed up, within uh, 48 to 72 hours, the average person without water goes insane, and they just start murdering. And uh, they said that was the <laughs> biggest threat in any emergency, like picture anything, you know, like Hurricane Katrina, any of these events is, uh, yeah. yeah. And it was just, I remember just thinking like, I don't want to live in a city. I want to live like so far away. And then I was like, but if you live so far away, there's the opposite side of that. Um, speaking of which, what, uh, since you grew up in like semi-rural, Oklahoma which is considered a rural state anyway and then you've lived in like major metro I mean Phoenix is the sixth biggest city in the country right now I think what do you prefer city living country living I know you've moved around a lot
1: Oh yeah I I love to be within striking distance of of a, a large city cool. you know an international city I like to be within striking distance of of you know the culture mm-hmm. that that you just don't get um, out in the sticks. You know, you just, there there aren't enough people and there aren't enough venues to provide it. So uh, I definitely like living outside of a city. I, I'm i not a fan of, of traffic. I do kind of like uh, San Francisco and Boston. I love the public transportation. Mm-hmm. I haven't fallen in love with it here yet because I just haven't Um, have the opportunity or the necessity I suppose to use it as much but yeah I I love cities but I need to get away
0: yeah I like I don't know you that that well but because you like go away and then come back and move a lot that's something we have in total common and I haven't been able to do that in years now because I had kids which was intentional so I like I'm not bitter or regretful but I knew that would be the one You know, part that was going to be hardest for me is the anchor effect. Yeah. So I totally agree with your answer, though. I think striking distance of a city is a brilliant way to explain it. Um, I do want to circle back, actually, because I had a note to ask you this, and then we went off on the imagination pain tangent. Um, When you talked about like feeling your mental acuity like change, I've actually tried to ask my mom about this like multiple times, and she's just said it's hard to explain, which is like genuine, you know, like, but uh, since you're an author and you're so good at writing, I'm curious cause I'm in my forties and so I'm just noticing like retrieval isn't as fast and like things like that. But, um, is it like scary or is it like wonderful and interesting? Like, um, yeah. What is the experience like?
1: Well, uh, more frustrating, I think than scary. Okay. I think okay. if I were, if I were showing signs of actual dementia, no. um, yeah, just... yeah, that would be scarier. Mm-hmm. Um, But I think probably scarier for my loved ones than for myself.
0: Oh, that makes sense. Yeah.
1: You know, because my my ability to deal will will be diminished if that happens. And other people are going to have to do that dealing for me and with me and about me. And that's that's saddening. You know. Yeah. I, I hope that doesn't happen.
0: No, yeah, and I—I I asked you. I felt comfortable asking because you're not actually slow or anything to me. And the way you described it, you were just talking about like, you know, the way I would say, like, I can't run as fast as I used to. I can't do a million things I used to. I, I bend over more slowly. I've injured myself doing routine things in my teens and twenties, you know. So I just figure the body starts to go first for me, and now the mind. And um, I'm always curious of the experience ahead of me. Um, and. Uh, Sort of along the same lines, what is, um, in your wonderful poem, the part that stood out the most to me was, like, the wheel of, I believe you said justice, is that what you said?
1: The grinding wheel is just and fair and kind and correct.
0: That's the part I wanted to ask you about. So, when you see what you feel is injustice in the world, in your personal life, in any situation, uh, in your calmer, more reflective points, are you just like, okay, well, like, this is just that, or, um... Is that like a thing that always rules over you and and helps you through life? Like how, uh, you know, because I've I've said like a similar thing to people before and they've just said, like, well, that's Pat.
1: Yeah, it is. And I'm being a little bit tongue in cheek when I say that. Yeah. You know, there is no greater injustice than death. Mm Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So how can I say that it's just? It's never just. Yeah. It's always uh, a personal affront. Uh Unless you personally find your way towards some kind of peace with it. And I can't say that I have, but that's my goal is to find peace with the inevitable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I, I get Dylan Thomas in in his rage, rage against the dying of the light, Mm -hmm. you know, but uh, I don't think that's really how I want to go. You know, I, I much prefer peace. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I don't have any more rights than anybody else. So, you know, we're all going to go and I'm in it with you. So that's that, you know, that's kind of Pat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it just is, you know, it it kind of is the way things are until and unless we can uh, find some kind of scientific way to remove it and I'm not sure that I want to see that day.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm definitely on that train. I want to ask you one last question because I think you're wise and I think you're considerate. And at the beginning of the interview when I was talking about you in front of you, what I was really trying to convey to my audience, uh, because you should buy one of his books, um, and I've only really read your fiction, but you see the world with this like sensitive lens that is so accurate. And I love it. It's like a movie that just like catches the sun glimpse the way that you like wish your own eye would sometimes but does sometimes. And you do it so well. So how do you see the next, like, 15, 20 years here on Earth? Like, um, just do you think culture and progress and mankind is moving in a direction of any sort?
1: Um, In circles, yeah. That's a direction. I think there are some things that are always going to be with us. And unfortunately, I don't see a way around war until... And unless we all have a common enemy, of some kind, be that something alien or, you know, we can't finally kind of come to terms with the fact that death is the great unjust injustice, mm-hmm. and maybe we can all work together to end that. But then we have population to deal with, and <laughs> we have all kinds of other problems. So, yeah. and I'm excited about a lot of things. i mean, I'm excited and terrified by the advent of what we're now calling artificial intelligence and machine learning, I think that's going to complicate the way we see ourselves and the way we see the world, and, and it's all going to be interesting, but the the great mysteries we will have with us forever.
0: That's, that's a wonderful way to explain it, and I'm so glad I asked you that question. And uh, again, for everyone at home, it'll be in the notes how to find him and his works, but you really should consider buying one of his books. There's a brilliancy that will just soak into you, and it's on a language level. Like, the language Hello. itself does something to me, and I'm, I'm really serious. So, uh, Vin Hello Jensen, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Man, uh, to Hello. everyone at home, again, the best way to support the show is to go to Mikeyop.com, that's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com, and sign up for the uh, newsletter on to that to service. And once again, my name is Mike Oppenheim, you have been listening to, be to, be to, listening be. to Coffin Talk, and we will see you soon. That you see me and I see you hear this tune